0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Hug Church Podcast. You're listening to episode number 13. So this past Sunday, we kicked off a brand new series titled Becoming, and it's all about discovering who you really are. So I was actually serving in our kids' ministry this past Sunday, so wasn't able to sit in on Eddie's message. Lucky for me, I get to dive into today's podcast right alongside with you. Hey guys, happy Sunday. And there's another thing to celebrate. Do you know what that is? That's right. That's right. Happy St. Patrick's Day. I know a lot of us are Asian and don't know what the heck that is, all right? But most of the world celebrates this day by getting really, really drunk and vomiting on the streets. But do you know what St. Patrick's Day is really about? Does anybody really know? It is about a missionary named Patrick who brought the gospel to Ireland. But here's a couple facts that you probably don't know about. Did you know, dot, 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 did you know that St. Patrick was not Irish? Did you know know that? St. Patrick was not Irish. He was British, okay? He was a British kid that was kidnapped and abducted and forced to live in Ireland and forced to basically be a slave. Do you guys know that? And then when he was returned to his wealthy parents back in Britain, he instantly was so thankful that he's no longer a slave and abducted that he became a priest. He went into the clergy to become a priest. And after training as a minister, he felt so compelled that the first thing he must do was go back to Ireland and preach the gospel because maybe if these people knew who Jesus Christ was, they'd stop abducting sixteen-year-old kids and enslaving them. Okay, so that was his mindset. Incred- incredible. And did you know? You know how he used, uh, how he taught the people of Ireland um, the gospel or the Trinity. He used this thing called the three-leaf clover. I thought people would be more excited about that fact. But you're not. That's okay. I got more I got more for you, all right? Did you also know that the color of St. Patrick was not green? It was blue. So we should be drinking blue beer, okay? Not, we should have blue Guinness. Is that even Irish? I don't even know. I don't drink beer, so. Uh, it, it, it should be blue, and the reason why it turned green is because that was the color of the Irish rebellion against Britain, again, I thought you guys would be more excited about this. so I don't know much about uh, Ireland or Irish culture, but I will say I do have a favorite Irish person, okay? I do have a favorite Irish person, and when I think about Ireland, this person depicts Ireland for me, and you might be offended about it, but I don't really care. Okay, This is my favorite Irishman. okay? This is my favorite Irishman. Do you guys know who this is? The notorious. Conor McGregor. I love this guy. He's very polarizing. People, there's people that probably hate him, but I love him, all right? And because this guy is so, his, can I say this? Oh, gosh, I'm gonna get in trouble. Can you edit this out of the podcast? This guy has, this guy has the biggest balls, okay? He has big balls, all right? This guy has the audacity. He has the arrogance to go after two belts, in the same way, I don't know, it's, I, don't, I don't really watch that much m but I just like him as a person, okay? This guy has the audacity to fight Floyd Money Mayweather, the greatest boxer probably in our generation, other than Mike, the, Mike Tyson, right? Uh, and, and he won about $85 million fighting, my, uh, fighting Floyd Mayweather. This guy, he, he's an incredible person, has incredible drive, but my favorite thing about Conor McGregor, this Irishman, is that... He is extremely competitive. He is so competitive. And there's something about that, that he's changed the game of MMA. He's changed the game of the UFC. He's even changed the game of boxing. And that's something that competition does. I love competition. Never play games with me or you'll probably leave this church, all right? Because you'll see a darker side of me. I'm just kidding. I I think there are some things about competition, healthy competition, that's really Really good, all right? So uh for instance, like the Olympics. The Olympics is a great competitive example because without the Olympics, we will never know what humanity is capable of physically, right? In a good way. It it it, it pushes us, it, it causes us to be the best version of ourselves. It can, healthy competition-wise. The sports, games, industry, the free market. I, I studied economics in college, you know, so I'm brainwashed to think this, okay? That competition is a good thing in the free market, okay? I'm being very honest about my bias. So competition is, is, can be good, but at the same time, it's one of those things where competition has a very thin, fine line where it can be healthy. Or unhealthy. It's a very thin line, competition is. Competition, if it's for the good of the sport, or the game, or the industry, or society, or for your personal growth. Competition can be a very, very powerful and good thing it helps you grow it helps society it can it helps lower prices it helps more people experience things this is what healthy competition can do it changes the game Serena Williams all right changed the game of female tennis all right you can't just play defense and do long rallies anymore you got to learn how to crush the ball ladies okay that is something that Serena Williams has kind of changed the sport of tennis all right Zion Williamson is about to change the NBA for the next decade, okay? This guy's a monster, okay? You know how many people watch Zion Williamson and how much people watch LeBron James? They play at the exact same time. It is drastic, the, the, the comparison, all right? I'm losing a lot of women in the room, okay? So, this is, a, healthy competition could be a great thing. It can help you become the best version of yourself, It can help society. It can do so much good. However, it is a thin, fine line between healthy and unhealthy competition. And to really capture what unhealthy competition really is, I'll just describe it as it is comparison. Unhealthy competition is when you are comparing yourself to somebody else. You are comparing yourself to everyone else without any of this of 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 any of this purpose here you're not thinking about how is this comparison to this other person good for the sport good for the game good for society good for my personal well-being and personal growth you're not thinking about that all you are unhealthy competition is when you are merely just comparing yourself with another person and that's it without any purpose without any meaning and this is cancerous this type of thinking is cancerous not only to your life but it is cancerous to society at work have you ever had this situation when you find out one of your co- what one of your co-workers makes salary wise what happens when one person finds out another person's salary that does the same exact job and you find out that they make $1 more, even just a dollar more. You just start comparing yourself to this person. What does this person do? I'm better than this person, right? How does this person deserve more than me? How, you start being consumed. You start forgetting about how is this good for the organization? How is this? How, how can I contribute? It stops becoming about the work. It becomes about... Unhealthily competing against this person and comparing yourself against this person—it is cancerous to the organization, cancerous to a workplace, it is cancerous to a culture. Right? In relationships, there's this. There's a saying in Korean. I know there's not that many Koreans in this room, but I'm going to say it. There's a saying in Korean. It's called other or Oma which means mom's friend's child, mom's friend's son or daughter. I think in Chinese, a like, Right? Is that right? Something like that. Right? My, <laughs> there's a lot of Chinese people in this room, so I got to show off my Mandarin. Right? And, and there, it, it, is the, it is the most, to, to describe this, this concept called mom's friend's child, it is the most psychologically savage thing to do to your children, by the way. Okay? Because you are brought up always being told, hey, did you see my friend's child? They lost a lot of weight. What are you saying, mom? <laughs> did you, Did you, oh, this person got into Yale. Oh, my friend's child, they're really good at tennis. My friend's child, like you're just constantly brought up where your life becomes about, I need to shut this woman up and start performing, okay? And that becomes your value, all right? Because you're never acknowledged for you. You're only hearing the acknowledgments and praise of, of your your parents' Friends, children. Do you guys know what I'm saying? How come you guys are not saying amen to this, all right? I mean, anyway, don't, use, don't say amen to that, by the way. It's not the appropriate thing. Okay. So, comparison, right? But I would say, not only is it cancerous to your children in the way you are brought up, but it is cancerous, most severely cancerous, to your faith, to your faith in your relationship with God. When you come into faith, when you come into a community and you start comparing yourself, oh, I'm not a good Christian like this person. I'm not as eloquent or charismatic as that person. I must not be chosen. I'm, I, I don't speak in tongues and can slay people with my jacket, all right? I must not be powerful and filled with the Holy Spirit, all right? I'm not as good of a singer, I'm not as holy, I don't know the Bible as much, I don't pray as long. You can play this game and have this conversation over and over and over. And I will tell you, that is cancerous to your faith. That is cancerous. And it's because of that reason, this, this unhealthy comparison, this unhealthy culture of competition that we even bring into the, the, the church, to our relationship with God is why many of us even left. Why many of us have, have left church and community altogether because we're just so consumed by this comparison to one another. And I will say that this is not, this is not a place for that. It's never meant to be a, a, a comparison. Faith is never meant to be a comparison game. So, again, I think this, this is just something prophetic that I have just really thought about and really heard from others that this is so important in this moment and this time to talk about this 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 thing about comparison this thing about you know if if you really want to be the best version be who god called you to be competition is good healthy competition is good but unhealthy comparison will kill you will kill you it will it will hold you back from becoming who you really are meant to be, who God called you to be. So I think it's very, very important that we're going to talk about how to stop, how to stop comparison, how to stop comparing. That's the question that we're going to be in. So I will say a disclaimer. Today will be an intro to a longer series. So we're just going to scratch the surface. It's going to be kind of like a teaser because... I would like everyone to come t- for the next 5 to 6 weeks and listen to what I'm what we're going to say. I'm just kidding. I do want that, but it's it just, it's just it's so hard to go over everything about this topic in the next 15 20 minutes, okay? So we're going to scratch the surface, do a teaser, okay? I'm going to leave you wanting more. All right? So, I thought what would be a good um, good introduction to this is why don't we look at all the scenarios, not all the scenarios, but the major scenarios of People who compare themselves in the Bible, all right? What are some of the famous stories of like people who compare themselves and the results of that, all right? Can we do that? Let's do that. Yeah. What? that funny? Was my face just look funny? Yeah, there we go. There we go. Cain and Abel, all right? Funny how it only takes four chapters in the book of Genesis to get into some bad stuff, Okay. It went from, do you notice that it went from, hey, don't eat this apple, and you eat the apple. Okay, that's not too bad, right? And then in one generation, we have a brother killing his brother. That's kind of how sin works. It's a snowball effect, okay? In one generation, you go from, hey, don't eat this. Dang it, I ate it. Well, you're banished, right? To one generation later, you have two brothers killing other killing each other, okay? That is, uh, that is one of the effects of sin. But Cain and Abel, all right? If you know the story, I don't have to go into the text. I know that. But Cain offers of, an offering to God. Abel offers an uh, offering to God. And one of the offerings was favored upon more than the other. Now, if you read it, there's not that much detail to, to really understand why. And I can go hours and I can recite dissertations and theories on why people think Abel's offering was accepted versus Cain's, but I will not go into that because they're all conjecture, okay? But whatever reason, Cain has this jealousy, this envy against Abel so much that he compared himself to his brother. He couldn't take it, so he killed him, got rid of him, all right? That's one of the negative examples that we see what comparing yourself can do all you feel like you can do is get rid of your competition okay get rid of your person that you're comparing against all right completely now if any of you are thinking about murdering your competition please tell somebody all right or turn yourself in okay number 2 all right Saul verse David in leadership it is cancerous When you are playing the comparison game, all right? Now, I say, we talked about this recently, all right, in, in a previous series, but Saul actually had the opportunity and capability to be a very effective leader and very effective monarch, all right? But he messed it up when he got really insecure, when people were praising David more than him. And this is when his reign turned south. This is when things went sideways for him. Because instead of using all his energy to govern the the nation of Israel, right? Who just won over their last defeated enemies, the Philistines. Saul chooses to take all of his energy and obsession to destroy David. To make sure that he is better than David, right? Right? And that was the downfall of Saul. When, he be, when, when you just start taking all of your energy into comparing yourself against someone else, all that insecurity, it makes you in, uh, incredibly ineffective, okay? That's one of the, uh, the downfall of leadership when you're comparing to, to one another, all right? Number three. Now, we see another sibling rivalry here, but between sisters. Now, I find it interesting that amongst brothers, anyone have a brother, in the, in the, okay, yeah. Brothers, when they, um, when you guys have conflict or rivalry, it is very like aggressive. Like you just need to like beat each other up and somebody wins and you're, and it's like the older brother or whatever is the stronger brother is like, yeah, you know what's up, all right? And then you have peace for like X amount of years, right? It's very aggressive and direct and that's how people deal with it, right? But man, Sisters are savage. Or right, as sisters, it is like psychological, indirect, passive aggressive type of destruction, like no other, okay? And so we see Martha and Mary, right? Martha is like cooking, cleaning, feeding, doing all this work, and she sees her younger sister kicking up her feet, talking to Jesus the whole time, and she's just like. There's a Korean saying, but I'm not going to say it because I think it's a curse word. But, um, and she says this, but Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to him, which is Jesus, and asked, right? She tattletales, basically, right? And she's just like, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. She's your sister. Why don't you tell her to help you, right? Right? Very, very passive. Goes to the, the person in power. Shames her sister indirectly. There's a lot of stuff I could talk about that's going on. But sisters, man, sis, I mean, wow. It's the rivalry among sisters is it's, it's this deeper level of stuff that we can handle, right? But again, it, it's, it's not a healthy thing. How does that even help their relationship as sisters? So we see that, again, another negative example of competition and comparison that we see in the Bible, all right? Now, even amongst the disciples of Jesus was comparison. Peter versus John, all right? In the last chapter of the book of John, Peter is told prophetically by Jesus, you're going to die, you're going to be sacrificed, and it will be a glorious death for, for me, and Peter's just like, like really, <laughs> like what about him? <laughs> right? He points to John because it was prophesied that that Jesus said John will live, All right? John won't die, right? And, 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 and Jesus looks at Peter and is like, you're not him. <laughs> what? I don't want him to die. What if I want you to die, right? And so we, we look at John chapter 1, okay? And, and like it's funny, but it really is. It's like Peter saw him. And he has Lord, what about him? What about John? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You just follow me, right? I have a different plan for you. I have a different plan for him. You're not the same person at all, okay? And so again, this comparison, again, doesn't help. It's not, a moment, it's not a good moment for Peter, by the way, all right? It's not a good moment for him, right? He's incredibly insecure. He's like, why do I have to die? Well, hey, man, you get to preach to thousands of people. That's, I'm, I'm trying to make a joke, but you guys are taking it very seriously. Okay. Uh, again, very, very. Uh, so, again, there's, there's these famous comparisons in the Bible, that people have. And it's very, very natural because we do it, all right? this unhealthy competition, but it's very cancerous to our faith, our relationship, our careers, our personal growth. Now, but this last one, this last example, I feel like is different. It's very interesting, intriguing, and, and we got to spend some more time on this one, This this last comparison. And it is arguably the most interesting comparison in the entire Bible, and it is this one. It is... Batman versus Superman. No, I'm kidding. It is not. This is not though, all right? Uh, It is Paul versus the other apostles, all right? Paul compares himself with the other apostles a lot, okay? And it's interesting because he does it in a way that I feel is healthy. He does compare, but it is in a different way than all the others in a very healthy way and so i want to talk about first corinthians he says this very statement okay he says for i am the least of all the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle all right he's still comparing himself all right but it's not like in a self-deprecating way to get laughs like your pastor okay It is is this, this honest conversation that he has that he compares himself with people, okay? And he literally says the reason why he's the least. Because I persecuted the church of God. No other apostle killed a bunch of them, okay? I know and I understand that I am the least, all right? I don't even deserve to be an apostle. I know that. He admits that. But then he says this, but By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. It means that my life, all that I've done, my past, who I am, it's not in vain. It's not meaningless. It's not purposeless. It has effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God that was with me. And then he says this as his closing statement of this paragraph. He says, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I preached or if they preached. All of you believe the same message, just the same. Now, it's interesting what Paul does. Because a lot of things he says is just like upside down. He compares himself, but he doesn't do it in a way for false modesty or to gain rapport. He does it in an honest way. He says, this is who I am. I know. He admits, I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because... I persecuted the church. He's not denying his past. He's not denying his weaknesses. He's not resisting anything that he's done. He knows because everyone knows. He willingly admits it, owns it. But then he says this, going back to uh, verse 10. He says, I am what I am because of God. For some reason, God chose me to have this life. He chose me to be born to the parents that I was born to, to be born in the time that I was born in. And I've done things in the past that I'm not proud of. I've made mistakes, and there's things that I regret, but I cannot change the past. What I can do is not let any of that past go to waste and see that it was for a purpose. See that it, was for, that it has a meaning. It was not without effect. It's really interesting what he does in this comparison game, all right? He uses his weakness as his strength. He uses his painful past as his power. He converts that negativity, all the things that people might say against him, he owns it. uses that for good and then lastly this is the most humbling thing i see from paul he says what does it matter what does it matter if i preached or they preached you still believe the result is the same i don't care i don't care all i care is that the gospel goes out and is preached is incredibly humbling. He cares about the game, the sport, the industry, the market. What does it matter? And it's interesting because the whole reason why he wrote 1 Corinthians is because they were so divided as a people. People were divided and having rivalry within each other saying, I follow Paul. I follow Peter. I follow Jesus. We're the most Powerful group in this caucus in this Congress, you must we have the legitimate faith and Paul in this statement it says it doesn't matter i'm the least doesn't matter, so I find it interesting that even paul he doesn't stop comparing himself, but what he does is he Embraces himself. He embraces who he is. He embraces his past. He embraces the things that he's done. He doesn't deny them. He doesn't resist them. And he says it will not go to waste. So how does how does Paul stop comparing himself to others? Well, he doesn't. And we can't either. How do we start? We can't. We can only embrace who we are. We can only embrace who we are. But The problem is many of us have trouble with knowing who we really are. Who we really are. What I like to do is I like to bring biblical ancient stories and concepts and try to make it as relevant as possible because we feel connected to more of the modern stories right? so you know every generation there are these iconic movies right there's these iconic movies that are these coming of age and like and really articulate and crystallize the teenage struggle right and which is really the human struggle and, and every decade every generation there's these great movies the breakfast club right Pretty in Pink, Stand By Me. There's, like, these iconic coming-of-age teenage movies that are just, like, classic, and you can watch them forever and ever, all right? So, unfortunately for my generation, this movie for us was this movie called Mean Girls, which perfectly depicts what it was like growing up in high school in the era that I grew up in high school, all right? And if you – has anyone not watched this movie? You watched Rush Hour 2, but you didn't watch Mean Girls? All right. (laughs) So much better. How do you even know you didn't watch the movie? All right. So if you don't know this movie, all right, Lindsay Lohan plays this 16-year-old girl who is homeschooled named Katie Heron, and her parents are zoologists from Africa. And they move to Chicago, a suburb of Evanston, Illinois. I know this movie really well because I've watched it many times. And, um she goes to high school for the very first time right and she is experiencing what it's like to be in high school it is about survival it is about image it is about being somebody else constant pressure as a teen as a child as in your adolescence to be someone else other than you okay and she runs into these three girls which are called what the plastics all right was led by none other than regina george rachel mcadams herself a little bit dramatic, okay? And she has this uh, plan to be an undercover plastic girl, be their project to destroy them, okay? But what happens in this process is that she starts liking becoming them. There's some benefits of being cool, feeling like a celebrity, and and, and, and there's all these cringy scenes, but I, I want to show this one one picture of, like, before and after. If you see Lindsay Lohan, she's wearing an over-large Lacoste pink polo with very baggy jeans. And I think she was wearing, like, Chuck Taylors or something like that. Very just, like, basic, you know, clothing, right? Chuck Taylors are cool, by the way. I don't mind them. But she transforms into this high heels, like, push-up bra, cleavage um, like, there she's wearing high heels. She and does her hair, you know, and it and it becomes like this, like cringy thing where she just transforms into something, someone that she is not. All okay? right, and the I don't care so much about the image and what she looks like, but it's her personality that changes throughout the movie. All right, there's like these these like um these moments where it's just so cringy. Okay, and when she's just like just becomes the valley girl, and. Why everyone has a universal reaction to those cringy scenes is because we know who she is, and we see that's not her. Why are you becoming something that you're not? But again, she's trying to, she is, she's caught in this game of comparison, comparing herself to others to try to fit in and belong, right? And again, it is, the, it is the human story. It is the human narrative of trying to find belonging and acceptance. But in order to find acceptance, you betray who you are and become somebody else. Now, if you know the end of the movie, she gets abandoned and outcast by everyone. And she is forced to be like, well, nothing left. I just got to be who I am now, which is a math nerd who is like a good student who is just like, you know, whatever, right? It cares about her parents and has good values and whatnot. And again, it is this formulaic cliche story <laughs> arc in movie. But there is something beautiful about it that the resolution of this person's journey is that in the end, what really matters is that she is just who she is. She embraces who she is. She she embraces, accepts that she's a nerd, that she's good at math, that she doesn't need to be cool. And there's something silly and cliche about that, but when when we all view that story, there is resolution, resolve, and payout. Right, And this is a silly example, but all of this today was to talk about where we are going in the next five to six weeks. Because I believe that is where all of us are. All of us want to become who we truly are, who we really are. We want to be authentic in our relationships. We want to be authentic. We want to be our real selves at work with our friends at church. But part of the problem is we don't know who we are. We've, we've, we've become so used to being somebody else, being someone that we think everybody will like or accept or being the person that everybody else wants us to be, we've lost the sense of who we are. What is my strengths? What are, what are my strengths? What are my values? What is my personality? And I, and I feel like this is a journey that God might be leading us towards in this short season. And so, with that said, we are going to start a series that I'm going to call Becoming. Very, very relevant. Very, very, uh, uh, because it's been vetted, obviously, by Michelle Obama. But (laughs) becoming, and the tagline for this is really discovering who you really are. Discovering who you really are. Because I believe that God does care that you become you. He doesn't tell Paul to be like all the other apostles. He doesn't tell Peter to be like John. And the truth, if there's any truth that you can walk out of here with, any takeaway, is that God does not compare you with anyone else in this world, in this life, in this room. He wants you to be you, He wants you to compete with you, (laughs) compare yourself with you, who you were yesterday. Who you, who you were 15 minutes ago. Who you were last year. That is the journey. That is the growth. And it's not about, he doesn't, he doesn't look at you and say, why aren't you like Mandy? Why aren't you like Brian? Why aren't you like Eddie? He does not say that. He does not think that. That is not what this life is. That is not what this faith is. So I'm excited about this, this journey that we're about to have. Are you excited? All right. I'm, I'm excited about discovering who I am in this journey, but I want to close with this quote, all right? And I think it's a very good one. It's from Albert Einstein, and it says, Everyone is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. And my fear is that everyone in this room might be like that fish thinking that I'm just not a good Christian. I just, I'm not a good disciple. Well, you're a fish. Why, why do you think you have to climb a tree? <laughs> and that is my fear. You're a genius. You just need to discover who you are and the path that God has for you. Amen? Let's pray together. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening, and we want to invite you to always stay connected with us. You can find us on Instagram at HugChurch or at HugChurch.com. Until next week, a huge hug, as usual, from Eddie and myself.